from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, and happy holidays from the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your very merry host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host and producer Craig Ebenezer Scrooge Williams. <laughs> So, uh, so, Craig, how are you this holiday season? I'm very good. How are you, Michael? I'm doing very well. Thank you. So, are you as excited as I am to share this gift of a very special holiday episode of Connecting with Walt with our Connecting with Walt family? Oh, yeah, I absolutely am. So, uh, it was a pleasure getting to record this episode. And, uh, you know, if only uh, everyone could have been there with us to hear the stories that went uh went beyond when the the microphone was actually rolling so uh Mm -hmm. the audio was rolling and recording (laughs) so we had uh, a lot of uh, a lot of good stories being told uh between us and our special guest for this episode even as the rain fell upon us. Yes, yep. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so Craig and I were fortunate to have spent time with Disney historian and author Jim Corcus, uh, and we were at Disney Springs at Walt Disney World, where he shared some wonderful stories of Walt Disney and Christmas time at Walt's studio, at Disneyland, and with Walt's family. So put another log in the fireplace, pour yourself some hot chocolate or eggnog, and sit back and relax with us as Disney historian Jim Corcus shares a fond look back at Walt Disney and Christmas time. Well, hello, uh, all of our listeners to Connecting with Walt. This is Craig and I, Michael Bowling. We are sitting here at Disney Springs. Yes, this is a Christmas miracle. It is not January, yet you can see in your iTunes feed that we there is an episode, a very special episode of Connecting with Walt for you. This is our little Christmas and Hanukkah gift from all of us to all of you. And we have an even bigger gift for you because we are sitting here with Disney historian and author Jim Corcus. And Jim Jim uh, has written many, many books. I own just about all of them on the different aspects of um, anything you want to know about Disney history. What is fascinating about what Jim writes is that there are stories to everything about Disney from the trash cans all the way to your favorite theme park attraction to the shows to everything and Jim collects the backstories of all of those because those stories are getting lost in, in the annals of Disney time and, and Jim's really made it one of his life goals to really collect those stories for us before they're completely lost to time and what we're going to talk about today since we're in the holiday season is how did 
Disney and Christmas get so closely associated with each other. For my generation growing up, we watched, you know, Uncle Walt every week on TV, and we look forward to that holiday Christmas show every year when Chimney Cricket would sing from all of us to all of you a very Merry Christmas. And, you know, the Disney parks are never so magical as at Christmas time, whether it's the Magic Kingdom or here at Walt Disney World or Disneyland out in California. So, Jim, how did, was was Disneyland really the first theme park that celebrated Christmas? How, what, how did Walt, tell us the story of how Walt brought Christmas into the park. <laughs> well, ho, ho, ho to all <laughs> the, the listeners out there. And uh, yes, we're having a um, a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holiday Season out here at uh, uh, Walt Disney World in, in Florida. Although uh, sometimes when it's 80 degrees or more, it's hard to realize that it is that holiday season. But uh, yes, even as far back as uh, uh, 1940s, Walt was talking about how uh, Christmas was such a magical time of the year because uh, it uh, makes us forget our day-to-day troubles and activities and sort of kicks the Scrooge out of us uh, to do that. And, of of course, with Walt, um, uh, he never expected any uh, uh, presents. That uh, came from his uh, background. But he loved giving them, loved giving them to... So many uh, uh, people, you know, uh, he grew up on a small farm in Marceline, Missouri, and uh, his, his family was really not well off, but he carried with him for the rest of his life those uh, early memories of uh, going out into the uh, snow-covered woods and cutting down a Christmas tree, and then uh, coming home and uh, with his mom uh, taking a string and making a string with uh, popcorn and cranberries and popcorn and cranberries and all that to decorate. And uh, it was Walt's job to uh, cut little uh, paper angels and make little uh, foil uh, ornaments uh, for the the tree there. Um, but, of course, Walt uh, always used to joke that since they weren't well off, uh, underneath the Christmas tree, what he could expect was... Uh, uh, some gift like underwear (laughs) rather than a a toy but it was uh, his older brother Roy who would save up a couple of extra pennies and and buy Walt and his younger sister Ruth uh, maybe a little uh, gyroscopic uh, uh, top or something like that so that the uh, there was always a little special uh, Santa present there on on Christmas and Walt wanted to keep that uh, uh, spirit when uh, he built uh, the uh, theme park Disneyland, and it's it's interesting you mentioned, you know, is that the uh, first theme park to uh, celebrate Christmas? Actually, the first theme park to celebrate Christmas is uh, uh, Santa Claus Land, uh, where uh, everything uh, was uh, uh, themed to, to Santa Claus and, and Mother Goose and all of that, and that, that opened before uh, Disneyland did, but boy, once Disneyland started uh, to have Christmas, there was nothing to, to beat the band. And, and in fact, uh, Disneyland opened in uh, July 1955, and, and there were uh, continual financial problems. In fact, uh, just a month or two after they opened, they found uh, that uh, someone had stuck um, uh, some unpaid bills 
in uh, an empty drawer simply because they didn't have money to pay him at the time. Uh, those bills ran almost close to a million dollars. And so money was very, very tight, but Walt was not going to let um, the uh, first uh, Christmas at Disneyland uh, slip by. And uh, so there was a live uh, Christmas tree out in front, uh, just to the left side of Sleeping Beauty's Castle, which was decorated. And Walt went to uh, Dr. Charles uh, Hurt, who was the uh, uh, musical choral director at uh, University of Southern California, and had him uh, bring some of his students. So they had a dozen uh, Dickens-costumed Christmas carolers uh, wandering around the park uh, singing Christmas songs. And uh, Dr. Hurt, by the way, was the one who eventually came up with the idea of Candlelight Processional. And they staged it on the um, train station steps so that it was high enough so that everybody could see and also so that Walt could look out his apartment window above the firehouse and, and, and see that wonderful Christmas uh, spectacle. There was even a Christmas tree on the front of the Mark Twain. And uh, so... Uh, uh, and. Uh, decorated lights uh, along uh, Main Street. So even in uh, December 1955, when, when money was, was tight, Walt wanted people to uh, uh, celebrate Christmas. And I guess the famous story of the very first Christmas at uh, Disneyland, December 55, uh, was told by Jack Lindquist, a uh, Disney legend, former president of Disneyland, who passed away this last year. Uh, he said he really finally understood um, what Disneyland was about when he was standing on uh, Main Street on December 24th uh, at the time when the park was closing for the night and he saw uh, this uh, uh, family, a a husband and wife and and their their little daughter who uh, came up to maybe about the the height of a knee and uh, they were looking in the Emporium windows. And the girl uh, uh, turned to the parents and said, You know, Mommy, you're right. This is better than having Santa Claus come this year. And Jack said, Boy, at that point I knew what Disneyland really meant to people. And he says, I tell that story because I want cast members to remember that for some people this is their Christmas coming, coming to Disneyland. And uh, so it's up to us to give them, in the spirit of Walt, uh, the best gift that we can. That's, that's wonderful. And, and I know that's true for me shortly after my mother passed away, and, and she sort of was Christmas for us. And I, I was young when that happened. We went to Disneyland that first Christmas just so that um, we would have that magic you know, in our lives at the holidays. So I, I understand what that little girl was saying. Now, now they didn't just limit, really, Walt didn't limit uh, the celebration of Christmas to just the park because I know, like, right now at the Walt Disney Family Museum, they have an exhibition of the studio Christmas cards, and we were talking before this podcast. You mentioned they even ran special comic strips during um, the Christmas holidays. Uh, yes, Uh in order to um, build up uh, circulation for newspapers over the holiday season, 
uh, Disney through King Features uh, Syndicate that was producing the Mickey Mouse comic strip and the, the Donald Duck comic strip, whatever, came up with the idea of a daily comic strip, Monday through Saturday, uh, for the six weeks before uh, Christmas Day uh, to have the Disney characters go on some type of adventure. For instance, Peter Pan uh, rescuing uh, Santa Claus, who had been kidnapped by Captain Hook and had to be saved by, by uh, Christmas and, and similar things. And so they didn't appear on the actual comic page. They appeared anywhere throughout the newspaper so that it encouraged people to hunt through the newspaper to try and find it so that they would see the ads from the various stores. And, of course, on um, Christmas Day, it, it would always get uh, uh, resolved with uh, that happy ending. And that went on for uh, uh, many years. Uh, of course, the Disney Studios produced uh, some of the most beautiful uh, Christmas cards of, of all time. And Walt kept a Rolodex of um, all of the children of the people who worked at the Disney studio as well as his friends and his professional contacts and so uh, a couple of months before um, uh, Christmas he would send his secretaries down to the uh, sound stage which is um, became Santa's workshop where uh, every kid would get one big toy and one small toy wrapped up and they would get that until they were age 12 and then they would get the Disney Studio Christmas card and Walt would go down constantly to check to make sure that uh, you know everything was being wrapped correctly and everything would be delivered and Walt would hold a big um, uh, Christmas party at the studio and run some of the uh, uh, Disney uh, Christmas cartoons uh, like uh, was the night before Christmas, and uh, I don't think people realize this, but the very first Mickey Mouse cartoon to be nominated for an Academy Award was one which was called Mickey's Orphans, and it takes place at Christmas, where uh, Mickey and Minnie are celebrating uh, Christmas, and then on their doorstop is uh, doorstep is dropped a basket full of orphan kittens. And they bring them in to celebrate Christmas. And unfortunately, Mickey gives them uh, things like saws and hammers and <laughs> drills. Well, again, his dad was a carpenter, so this was a great gift. And it was a practical gift. This is what Walt was used to, you know, at, at Christmas time. And, of course, the little kittens proceed to destroy the entire house and, and to harass Pluto wearing uh, uh, little antlers being... Um, uh, uh, a reindeer and, and Mickey being dressed up as uh, uh, Santa Claus for the very first time, and, and there were several uh, cartoons uh, and Mickey uh, Mickey's Good Deed, all of this. Where um, and a lot of people don't realize that Walt was taking a huge risk on this because if you make a Christmas cartoon, you can't re-release it in July. It, there, there's only that short window of opportunity in which to release the cartoon. And, and also the fact that um, Disney, even then, was an international company. Uh, some countries don't celebrate the same holidays that, that Disney does or, or don't celebrate uh, Christmas the way that America does. So, um, uh, you know, taking quite a, a chance on, on that. And uh, then it, at home, uh, Walt had a... Uh, 
a, a two-story uh, living room. And so his daughter Diane said, uh, yes, on, on Christmas morning, uh, she and her, her sister uh, Sharon uh, were up on, on the second floor, and they would run out, and they had what Diane called um, the Romeo-Juliet balcony. So a little area that overlooked so you could look down into the uh, uh, living room. And here is this massive two-story uh, tree that uh, Walt had uh, decorated with Lillian the, the night before. And, uh, Cher- and Diane said uh, uh, they had to hang their uh, stockings on the outside of their doors. And she said that's so uh, Lillian could come in and, and fill the, the stockings without disturbing them or, or waking them up. And Diane said one of the first Christmases she remembers, and uh, uh, there's actually film of this existing, uh, she is sitting underneath the Christmas tree surrounded by, by all of these mechanical toys that are moving because Walt was so fascinated with that, and that led to the development of audio uh, animatronics. And Diane is hitting them as quickly as she can to make them stop moving <laughs> and um as, as she got older um walt gave her uh, uh gifts like jewelry or or a little watch on the back that would say uh, uh to diane from dad and all of that uh, and she kept those and uh, uh so those are still preserved over at the uh disney family museum in san francisco which is a wonderful place uh, to visit and and as you said at this time of year they they run a uh, a special program about uh, Walt and Christmas exactly and one of the things that they have during that program is they have home movies of of Walt and the family and and one of the Christmas gifts they show is when Walt had the studio carpenters build a replica of Snow White's cottage in their backyard and so when when Sharon and Diane run out there there's there's even a working phone in it and so when they picked it up it was Santa Claus at the other end asking how how much they enjoyed the the um, cottage of course it was walt <laughs> portraying santa claus and yeah they, they, and they, it's just wonderful they have all those home films of walt and the family at the holidays and then they show a lot of the christmas shorts you were just talking about both from the television show i mentioned as well as the ones that were in the theaters they also have a new exhibit and it is a model of the carolwood home with the train a model of the train running around it so people wondered how did how did walt get this train in under lillian's flower bed so now you can see the model of it so uh yeah so definitely worth a visit if you're in san francisco during the holidays and they do this every year so but uh but and i'm glad you mentioned that little cottage that was uh uh diane's um uh favorite christmas gift that lasted there for uh Actually, the physical cottage itself still exists at that house today, out by by that pool, although the inside has been uh, gutted. And yes, this was the Christmas after uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was released because it was a huge hit. And so Walt had, um, you know, uh, plenty of money. So it was like, okay, let's do something special for the uh, for the kids. Um, 
And so, yes, bought, uh, built that little cottage. And Diane said it was about the size, the interior was the size of about a good-sized closet. But again, these are little kids. And uh, they had a refrigerator in there that was stocked with these little cans and uh, all of this. It had running water, had a little uh, mushroom chimney on top, even though there was no fireplace for any. And and there were these uh, double doors, uh, you know, for the entrance. And I don't know if you saw that in the home movies, but in, in one, Diane is leaning out of the top of the door and her dad, who is filming, keeps encouraging her to lean further out so that there's no shadow on her face. And, and she falls right, right out. And um, uh, he has to run to, to comfort her. And yes, you know, this is, this is all right. And um, of course, uh, uh, Christmas was tied with a lot of uh, uh, special gifts because at that uh, uh, same house, which was on uh, Lyric Avenue, and Roy uh, had the house right next door because they got one of those prefab kits to build your own houses, so they were actually mirror images of of each other. Um, Walt uh, loved dogs. He did not hate cats, by the way. Uh, Diane told me, you know, that that's one of those urban myths out there. They had a cat, and the cat would come and curl up in in his lap while he was reading scripts at night and all that. But Walt really loved uh, dogs. However, uh, his wife Lillian didn't care for dogs. He felt they were messy and smelly and and all of that. So Walt, always liking a challenge, went and he did his research. You know, what is the cleanest dog? What is the dog that doesn't smell, you know, or shed or all of this? And he came up with um, a chow. And he, he, he did this huge presentation and, and, and all of this for Lillian. And Lillian says, well, that's all very interesting. She said, and if I ever get a dog, that might be the one I, I would get. But we're not getting a dog. And so Walt, of course, went out and got a chow puppy, kept it over at Roy's house next door. And then on um, uh, Christmas Day, when they were uh, getting all of the the, uh, presents, Roy snuck out at Roy. Walt snuck out to Roy's uh, house, put the little puppy in a hat box and a huge ribbon around it and put a little tag on it and... uh, uh, came in and when nobody was looking, slipped it under the Christmas tree. And uh, uh, their niece, uh, Walt's niece, was uh, handing out the, the presents. Something that I had to do when I, I was a, a kid. I, I don't know why they had great delight in that. Yes, go underneath the tree and find something for Aunt Edna and give her. There was never enough presents for Aunt Edna. So any, anyway, um, the the niece pulls out the, this box and says, "Oh, look, there's one more." And it says, to Lily from Santa. And she starts to walk from the Christmas tree to over where Lily is sitting. And um, steam is coming out of Lillian's ears. Because she thinks Walt has bought her a hat. Because it's a hat box. And Walt had, she felt Walt had terrible taste <laughs> in, in hats. One time when they were driving in, in one of his convertibles, she ripped off the hat from his head and, and, and threw it out, you know. And Walt, being Walt, stopped the car, went back and got the hat. And then later he had it bronzed and given to her as an anniversary gift. So anyway, this poor little girl is walking across and she sees her aunt getting angrier and angrier and angrier and, and just sets it on Lily's uh, lap 
and before Lily can say anything, the hat box moves. And, and she opens the hat box, and peeking out is this little chow puppy, which, which she names Sonny. And Walt said, it was one of the biggest mistakes in my life because uh, this was before Diane was born. This became her child and had to sleep in the bed with us. And, uh, you know, it was, it was her dog fr- from then, then on. And Walt loved telling this story at the studio. And so the animators incorporated that into the animated feature Lady and the Tramp which is the only Disney film that begins and ends at Christmas. Yes. And, uh, in fact, at Walt Disney World, uh, if when you're on uh, Main Street, if you're near um, the Chapeau Shop, which is right next to Tony's Town Square Restaurant, the sign for the Chapeau Shop is the hat box from Lady and the Tramp, where Lady uh, popped out. But um, you also mentioned, uh, of course, uh, something that was a holiday tradition in, in our family was watching uh, From All of Us to All of You, uh, directed by a good friend of mine, Jack Hanna, and, um, who directed an awful lot of the Donald Duck cartoons and the Chip and Dale cartoons and, and uh, all of this. And uh, uh, he said, yeah, we, he said what we needed to do was uh, the show was getting so expensive, Walt said, isn't there something we can do with these cartoons? So we came up with the idea of, we always send out Christmas cards from the Disney studio, why don't we have a Christmas card, and then that Christmas card will then transition into that cartoon. And we'll do, uh, we'll, we'll spend a couple of bucks on new animation of Jiminy Cricket introducing. What a lot of people don't realize is that Walt being the marketer that he is, the last scene was to advertise the upcoming Disney animated feature that was going to be released that next year. And so each year, the uh, from all of us to all of you, the last scene was constantly changing so that it could advertise the new film that, that, that uh, w- was coming out. And uh, yes, it became a a standard and 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 a hit. And and gosh, Disney and Christmas uh, on TV uh, that that goes back even further. That goes back to uh, uh, Christmas Day, nineteen fifty, on uh, NBC. Um, Walt did the, his very first TV show, one uh, uh, one night in Wonderland. There, um, and uh, basically, he was doing this. Uh, to, to test out to see if Disney would work on TV and also um, uh, to publicize Alice in Wonderland which both he and Roy thought were gonna, was going to bomb big time but if you do it on TV maybe this will encourage people to go see this and so uh, gosh the most highest rated uh, show he, he was just showing uh, had Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy on there Diane and Sharon have a short scene in there as well. Um, and, of course, it was uh, sponsored by Coca-Cola, which is very connected with Santa Claus. And Santa Claus, at the very beginning, opens up these presents and one hour in Wonderland. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, showing this, it was so successful that all the other uh, networks uh, competed for the following year. And the following year, a lot of people don't realize this, is there was a second Walt Disney Christmas show um, 
This time it was on CBS, sponsored by Johnson & Johnson, and it was promoting uh, Peter Pan. And so we actually got to see uh, Bobby Driscoll and uh, uh, Catherine Beaumont as Peter Pan and, and Wendy around there. And again, another huge, huge success. And so this is uh, one of the things that uh, led to that uh, uh, weekly uh, Disney uh, television show because Walt saw, hey, I can do this. And uh, the uh, network saw, this brings in the ratings. And advertisers said, hey, I want to advertise because people start to associate my product with, you know, the happiness uh, of, uh, of Disney. So, uh, yes, and, and, you know, in England on, uh, on Christmas Day, they always would do a uh, Disney special. And, uh, in fact, one of the most famous is they had uh, Tom Baker, who was Doctor Who, dressed as Doctor Who, presenting segments of Disney cartoons and segments from from uh, uh, Disney uh, features. And it was quite the uh, uh, tradition in the UK is that uh, because they didn't have the weekly Disney television show, my gosh, Christmas, we've got to stay home and watch Disney on TV because... Um, uh, I think we're of the same generation, Michael. In those days, you didn't have VCRs. <laughs> you know, you, you either had to be there to see it or you missed it or, or hope that they would rerun it at, at, at sun, sometimes. I know that comes as a shock to some of our younger listeners. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I won't really send you into shock and talk about how some of the first articles I ever wrote was on a manual typewriter, and you had to change the ribbon, and if you wanted a copy, you had to use carbon paper. but And, and you had rotary dial phones, you know. But those things existed, and it made us the people that we are today. And what a wonderful Christmas we had back then. You, you remember some of them, right? Oh, absolutely. Well, and, and I got my start on manual typewriters taught typing for a while but jim thank you so much for for explaining to us how how walt brought christmas and disney into our lives and uh, thank you for sharing all of these wonderful stories and if you want to learn more about these terrific stories that jim has shared with us we'll have a link in our show notes for this special ep- holiday episode in um you know um in our show notes uh, to where you can um find some of jim's books including his vault of vault series where there is a ton of stories in there as well as his many many other um books and uh, and um uh, jim thank you so much i want to wish you a very merry christmas and craig Thank you. A very Merry Christmas to you and Kylie. Oh, yes. Thank you all. So. <laughs> I know I was quiet on this one, but, you know, you get captivated in these stories. You just want to sit back and listen, right? <laughs> and, and in fact, this is your first Christmas in a new house, right? Yes, it absolutely is. So, so I hope you put up a Disney Christmas tree. It is. It's, I'd say it's about 80%, but uh, our, our whole front of our house is just full of all the Disney popcorn buckets that have probably been sold over the last uh, five or six years. So we are Disney-fied out all over the house, uh, as anyone should be. I mean, my problem is the Disney ornaments that they put out are so great that I want to display them year-round. So that's where most of my Disney ornaments actually are. Uh, And then the tree just gets filled in with a little bit of the rest. But, no, it's... 
it's impossible. The whole point of this, Disney and Christmas are just synonymous with one another. Uh, It became a family tradition of mine to come down to Disney World at Christmas every year once my sister started uh, her college program. And after we experienced it once, it was every year after that, essentially, maybe skipping one or two. And uh, and that I don't think that tradition will end. Uh, At least I can't foresee it. But yeah, no, I just love it all. Yeah, in our house, I think every room is decorated with something of Disney every Christmas. Uh, you know, we used to have two Christmas trees, and, and one was completely Disney, the largest tree. And now we're, we we only put up one Christmas tree, and it's all Disney. And there's Disney ornaments hanging on all the banisters in the house, and we have the little Hallmark Disney various contraptions and characters that play music much to our granddaughter's delight so it's definitely a a disney christmas at our house as well and perhaps you should have uh, the listeners write in how they share their disney christmas you know do they do they dress up their dogs as disney reindeer (laughs) or disney snowmen um and and those uh, those fabulous characters in the disney parades were created by um bill justice and exitensio and even though the material to make them have changed over the years, that, that same basic concept of the reindeer with the tongue hanging out of its mouth and the dancing snow and all of that, that actually came uh, from 1961. And um, uh, it, it was a very exciting time uh, celebrating uh, Babes in Toyland being, being released uh, in, in the movie theaters. And uh, again, you know... Um, I know uh, you and your wife, uh, your lovely and charming wife, Carol, uh, said that you had two Christmas trees, one that was Disney-oriented and one that was was, uh, uh, more uh, traditional. And uh, when I was growing up, that that was the same. We we had a a Disney Christmas tree, and uh, you could get great ornaments from Hallmark and and things like that. And... uh, yeah, really, uh, really miss that. But I, I hope that for all of the listeners, this will be the various, very happy time of the year for you. And I know we're heading into a new year of uh, uh, changes and and concerns. But uh, you know what? Right now, let's enjoy what we have, enjoy our families, enjoy each other, and uh, enjoy Disney. Thank you. And from all of us here at Connecting with Walt, from me and Craig and our families, to all of you, our listeners, we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. If you would like to read more stories about Walt Disney, his films, his parks, and more by Disney historian and author Jim Corcus, you can find his many books at Amazon.com or ThemeParkPress.com. And we'll have these links in our show notes. And I highly recommend Jim's Vault of Walt series, which is a collection of stories about Walt Disney and his legacy. A Vault of Walt Volume 2 has a chapter devoted to Santa Walt. And Jim's collection of, of Vault of Walt just has all kinds of stories spanning uh, the legacy of Walt and his career. Uh, a couple of other favorite books of mine by Jim are a the Book of Mouse, a celebration of Walt Disney's Mickey Mouse. Uh, if if you are a fan of Mickey Mouse, and well, 
you probably wouldn't be listening to the show if you weren't. This is probably the definitive book about uh, our our very favorite mouse. So um, I'd check this out if I were you. And um, Craig, you're our, our resident movie reviewer, film critic for the Diz. Uh, ha- I, I'm sure you've seen Song of the South. Oh, yeah, I have. Right? Yeah, so, well, there, Jim wrote a book called Who's Afraid of, Song, of the Song of the South and Other Forbidden Disney Stories. So if you want the, the real lowdown on, on, well, the fascinating story about Song of the South and why it has not been re-released onto home video, in, in recently, uh, this is the book for you, and there's also some other fascinating stories in there as well. So, Craig, what what did you think of all these stories from um, our friend Jim Corcus? It, it was an absolutely wonderful time just getting to sit there and uh, listen to the amount of stories that he could pull, just almost seemingly out of thin air, uh, just mm-hmm. that he has memorized. I mean, the man is encyclopedia of information uh and my gosh i I could adjust that there for hours listening to it so i I can't can't wait to talk to him again very soon in the future get get some more stories out of him oh he's oh yeah i mean he's fantastic we'll definitely have him on the show again sooner than you think but uh, also for folks who listen to uh the Diz Unplugged Disneyland Edition um, podcast, where I also do history segments. Uh, I have a conversation with Jim on the history of Disneyland, especially in its first year of 1956. So you'll want to take a look um, for that uh, as well. And he has some really fascinating stories about the early years of Disneyland. Well, you know, though... Craig, those cute little prep and landing elves, Lanny and Wayne, told me they may be delivering yet another very special holiday episode from Jim Corcus on Christmas Eve. That's what I heard. So, yeah, so connecting with Walt Dizzers, if you are on Santa's nice list, look for a story from Jim Corcus about a Christmas gift Walt received that changed his life. And that'll be in your Connecting with Walt digital stocking. So thank you for making us a part of your holiday celebration. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing. That was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.